give Jesus praise for being here this morning. Lord, we thank you for making a way. Lord, that's our confidence this morning, Lord, as people take next steps of faith, not by tradition or habit, God, but by faith. Lord, by grace, we focus on your love today, God. We need your love in this place. We need your life, Lord. We, we believe, Lord, when we're up against worry, stuck between water, <laughs> that you told us to raise the rod and that your word will make a way, God, that you're the water parter. You're the mountain mover. We thank you for the Holy Spirit being in this place. Holy Spirit, I ask you to make a way in people's lives this morning where they feel like there's been no way. You're the way maker. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God praise and honor. It is good to be in church with you. Look at somebody before you grab your seat and say, he's the way maker. He's going to make a way. I know sometimes it feels like, man, I don't think there's any way, God. And uh, I just want to celebrate like him making the way for us and just what he's doing. I love seeing people take these steps. I mean, he's making a way for their life in Christ. And last week we had a, a, a record Easter attendance here. We had like 1,450 people at Easter over four, over four services. And so, look, I, don't, I just want to tell you that that's you, your Transformation Church. Thank you for making this place full of faith and serving and giving your life and inviting friends and family and trusting us. And, and so besides just the number of people, we had 22 people say yes to Jesus Christ last week. All eternity just changed because of that. And then this week, we've already had about 10 people say yes to Christ. And, and I, just, I just think that the Holy Spirit's moving here. And I want to say this to you, like, like please, uh, don't, let's don't take it for granted. Like, this is what God's doing in our church is special. People getting water baptized, the environment, heaven in the room, like that kingdom come. I was talking with a lady at my middle school soccer, uh, my middle school kids soccer game yesterday. And she's like, our church is dying. And there, you know, there's not a lot of people there. And she's asking about our church going like, it's like that. And it's like, wow, it's like that. And she's like surprised. And it's just the reality is like what we have here and what God's doing is special. And so it's easy to kind of get used to or get numb to, you know, the heaven being around. But I'm like, man, let's give them heaven. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that we don't need to get just used to what God's doing. So it's my honor and privilege to get to do this with you every week. And I thank you for uh, leading here and just being a part of what, what God's doing. We're going to jump into the last part of this series called The Goat. Come on, y'all ready for The Goat? Jesus is the greatest of all time. And uh, many people try to claim that title, but he's the one. And we've been looking at miracles in the book of John. And uh, I think that this is a, a fitting story this week for after resurrection, after Easter Sunday, because I'm going to look at Peter and, and Peter knows the resurrection and God's um, raised Jesus from the dead. But Peter's still kind of feeling defeated. He's still a little bit confused. He's still kind of failed very bad. And so in his failure, he's taken on a lot of shame and regret. And so I want to look at how God kind of restores him and brings him back to, to just his purpose, even after he failed. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at Mark 16. And we're also going to look at John, the end of John in chapter 21. We'll give you three portions of scripture that I'm going to pray for you. This is what it says in Luke 22, 61 through 62. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoke to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So this is before the resurrection. Jesus predicted it. Peter walked in it. And now Peter is coming to realize that God was right. Come on, isn't it good when we realize that God was right? 
And, uh, and so he's a little bit discouraged, a little bit upset, a little bit grieved, bitter, got shame coming in. And now Jesus is risen from the dead in Mark 16, 5 through 7. And he says this, there's this special angel that speaks uh, to us and gives a message. It says this in verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. It's interesting. Wasn't Peter a disciple? So, so this angel gives this message. Go tell the disciples. Oh, 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 and, and Peter's messed up. He's pretty discouraged. Go make sure you tell him too. Go tell the disciples and Peter that he was going to before you into Galilee. There you'll see him like he said to you. Now, John 21, final section. This is the restoration of Peter after he's failed. He's actually seen Jesus one time risen from the dead. So he's still a little confused, and Jesus shows up, and this is what he says to him. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. And he said to him again, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him this the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Title for today is this, a personal invite and a PS to Peter. A personal invite and a PS to Peter. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, let, let it change us. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for the personal invite in every one of our seats today. Thank you that no matter what we've done, where we've been, how we're confused, what we've gone through, how we failed, you've got a personal invite right now for us. We give you glory and honor and praise. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us Jesus. Show us his love. Show us his grace. We want to see that and focus on that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a personal invite. Anybody ever gotten a personal invite to something special? Like, isn't it cool now, like, when you get something in the mail that's an invite? Like, because we don't mail things anymore. Like, that's rare. Like, so you get an, it's actually an invitation. Like, wow, my name's on it, you know? I love personal invites. They just make me feel valuable, Invited to the party, invited to the, to the thing, invited to the club, invited to, you know, invited to the hangout, invited to the dinner, you know, whatever, invited to the, con just a personal invite, makes me feel special. Um, have you ever got a personal invite that wasn't so personal? Like you got there and there's like 500 people there and you're like, this is, I thought this was like personal. I thought it was like, I was, I thought I was special. You know, like this is for everybody. I've gotten some of those kind of invites before where I thought I was special and I was the special guest or whatever. They're inviting me, but it wasn't so special. A few years back, someone invited me to this special, like personal invite to a pastor's trip. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I felt great about myself. And then I called the secretary and get the details. And they're like, oh yeah, by the way, it'll be $5,000 for you to go. I'm like, uh, nah, I'm not so special. <laughs> And no, you can't have $5,000. And no, I don't have $5,000. You know, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to stay home this time, you know. And so I got, I've had that kind of invite. had an invite from a pastor in town here in town one time. Uh, said, hey, would you like to go get coffee? I'm like, sure, I'll go, let me go get some coffee. Show up and it's like a round table network of pastors. And he's trying to get me to join the network with these guys. Traps me in a meeting for two hours. It's the most boring thing I've ever been in. And I'm like, I can't stand you. I'm never going to see you again. I'm going to avoid that guy at all costs because I don't want a fake coffee invite to go hang out somewhere I don't want to go. I look, I'll go hang out. Just tell me up front that it's like a network thing. You know, don't just trick me for fake coffee. You know what I mean? Thought I was special. 
Happened again about six months ago. I got a friend, you know, not a close, close friend, but a, a, a family friend we've known for years. And they're in Florida and they pastor down there and, and uh, got a church and a theater. They're still mobile. He's trying to get a building. And he heard that I, he, we had built a building here and he was excited for us. And he was in town and he calls me up. I meet lunch. He's like, hey, I, I'm in town. I'm sitting in your parking lot. I would love to come see and you show me your building. I'm like, okay, that's cool, man. What's up? And I drive over. We come in. He's like, dude, like, wow, man. Like, God's really doing something through your life. I'm like, thanks. Like, really? You didn't know? Like, okay. I appreciate you've had that much confidence in me. Like, really? You think God? I was like, it's just a building. It's not the people or what it's about, not the building. He's like, bro. He's like, no, but man, God's, he's like, hey, could you come preach? Do you want to come preach for me? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, I see now. I get it. Like, you never invited me to preach for you in the five years I've known you. You've had a church in Florida. You would come up here and see a little building and invite me to come preach. Don't play like you're my friend with a special invite right now. That's what's going on in my mind. I didn't say that out loud, right? So I'm like, dude, don't you dare. Like, oh, that's just shallow, you know? And he's like, you want to come preach? I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Man, yeah, that'd be great. You know, anytime, you you know, I'd love to come down. We come to Florida. He's like, yeah, bring the family down. He said, well, it's actually in three days. My wife and I's anniversary, and we're going to Disneyland. I need a fill-in preacher. (laughs) He's like, we got people in church that could do it, but I think it'd be good to have something different. I'm like, uh, 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 I'm the Disney fill-in guest? (laughs) Like, great. Like, yeah, I thought I was special. I thought I had a personal invite. I thought I was like, I went home. I vented to my wife. I'm telling you now, I'm bitter. I'm scarred. I'm like, I'll never go to Florida and preach for that guy in my life. You know, you get those kind of personal invites, but then you get invites that are meaningful and you show up and you're with a group of people and something special happens and like, it, is, it is real and it's, it's valuable and it makes you feel a certain way. That's what God's given to Peter here. Peter has blown it. He's discouraged. He's down and out. He's had the worst failures that you could have. I mean, basically, Jesus called him Satan about a week earlier. That's a pretty bad day. You know, get behind me, Satan. When the Messiah calls you Satan, the one full of grace and mercy, you know, it's like, oh, God, <laughs> we're on the wrong foot here. You know, it's like, and, and, then, and then he falls asleep in the Messiah's prayer meeting. You know, it's like, it's in, they're like, couldn't you stay awake? Peter falls asleep three times. He dogs all of his best friends, throws them under the bus. He's like, I love you more than all these guys, Jesus. And even if they deny you, I will not deny you. I'll die with you. I will die with you. And then he denies him three times, right? Bad day. Have you ever, you know, uh, just overvalued your devotion? Have you ever, like, surprised yourself by, like, your lack of devotion? Like, I will never, God. Really? Okay. Overestimate our love sometimes, don't we? So here's Peter having this horrific day. He's got shame on him. He's got discouragement on him. He's even seen Jesus raised from the dead, but we know that he's still discouraged. He's, he's, he doesn't know what to do. And God sends this message to him in Mark chapter 16, Mark 6. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter, like specifically tell Peter because Peter feels like he's not a disciple anymore. Peter knows resurrection, but still feels defeated. Some of you, you came to Easter last week, you know the cross, you know resurrection, you know Jesus came alive, but you've messed up in ways and you still feel defeated today. Or you still feel shame today, or you still feel regret today. And you're like, God, I don't. And so God says to Peter, go tell the disciples and Peter, the message is this, Peter, your failure is not final. And, and I, I need to tell some of you guys that you write it down if you need to, your failure is not final. Like whatever you've done, that is not a finality with God. The cross means your failure is not final. And he goes and he says, tell the disciples and Peter. Tell Peter that he's still in this thing. Tell Peter that he's still my friend. 
Tell Peter that he's still one of the boys. Tell Peter that he hasn't blown it too much, that, that he's welcome. Tell Peter, he didn't go to Peter and be like, I can't believe you, Peter. How dare you, Peter? Never do that again, Peter. I told you you'd deny me, didn't I? I told you three times. I, I, I knew it, Peter. You're going to have to pay me, pay penance. You're going to have to do some stuff to get it back. He didn't do any of that. Jesus, Jesus actually predicted Peter's failure. I mean, think about it. Like he predicted how Peter would fail. God, God already knows how we're going to fail. You can't surprise God. You, God can't learn, and so you can't surprise him. And here's the beautiful thing. If you can't surprise God, you can't disappoint God. Some of you think God's so disappointed in you because you've done something or did something or something happened or you failed or whatever, and you're going, God, I know you're disappointed. And you've got shame on you and regret, and God's going, you can't surprise me. You can't disappoint me. The thing is, we can disappoint ourselves and we can disappoint each other because we do things and say things and we act in a way that might have been incongruent with our nature or character. And so it's like, man, that surprised me. I'm disappointed in you or that surprised me. I'm disappointed. And so what happens is the enemy, once that happens and we get disappointed, then shame sets in and the enemy uses shame to always distance us. And what he wants to distance us from is God's image or God. You and I are made in the image of God. So when you disappoint yourself, you try to distance yourself from yourself, from the true nature of who you are. So that, that God would say that you're an overcomer, you're a conqueror, you're a son or child of God. And now the shame sets in and you begin to distance yourself from the reality of who you are. I mean, I'm nobody, I'm a failure, I'm discouraged. I mean, and the enemy uses that shame record to distance you. When you should be digging into God, you're hiding from God. Shame makes us hide from God when we need him most. And it becomes a cycle in our life because God's the only one and the only source that can break shame off our life. And so we can't run from him. We've got to press into God, go after God. If you're facing discouragement, regret, shame, whatever it is, I encourage you to press into God, go after God, draw near to God today. Shame makes you distant. I remember in second grade, I was in love with Laura McRae. <laughs> Laura McRae, second grade. And uh, we, we, we would eat cookies together before soccer games at her house. I don't know what parent would let a young second grade boy come over and eat cookies with their daughter. They're crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would never let anybody do that with my daughter, you know, but I loved, I mean, I was a lot of crush on Laura McRae and uh, my sister, Leslie Fitzgerald, stepsister, Leslie lo had a crush on Brian Greer. I don't know why I remember all this, but I do. <laughs> had a crush on Brian Greer. Brian was the, the athlete. They're in sixth grade, second grade, sixth grade, my older sister and Brian Greer and Leslie they, they started going together. Come on. Anybody, anybody remember going together? And they go together. And Leslie was so excited. Brian called her up, and they started going together. And she's like, we're going together. I'm like, you know, like, what does that even, like, what does that even mean? Like, they go together. Is that like matching shoes with an outfit? Is that go together like food, french fries and hamburgers? They go together. I don't even know what that means, but that's 80s thing. Come on, anybody remember the 80s thing? So my sister told me, you've got to ask Laura to go with you. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I get the phone out. I dial her number. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you remember those <laughs> little rotary dials? I'm dialing. It's got the little bungee cord on it. <laughs> you gotta stretch the thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to her. I call her up. I'm like, "Is Laura there?" They're like, "Sure, we'll get her." I'm like, "Who? What parent would get your second grader?" Like, they, I don't really under, understand it right now. You scarred me for life. You shouldn't let me talk to her. You know? I get on the phone. My sister's there. I'm like, "Laura, this is Jamie." 
will you go with me? <laughs> Silence. The next thing I hear, ruined my dating life for about 10 years. <laughs> go where? <laughs> it was over for me. Click. Just hung the phone up. Backed away slowly. Hated my sister Leslie forever. I was the boy that had to change the calendar the next day. We had calendar assignments, and the calendar was on the teacher's desk, and you had to flip it, and I had that job. Laura sat right by the calendar. I was sick for two weeks. I'm not going to school. I told Mom, I'm not going. I can't, I can't face shame. Shame. I don't know, I don't know why. I'm scarred. I, you get it? I'm still telling you the story. Terrible girl problems in middle school and high school because of it. But here's, here's the point. Shame caused me to distance myself. I didn't, want to be, I didn't want to face her. I didn't want to go to school. Shame causes you not even to want to face stuff. Not, not even want to face your friends or your family or, or God and just, and, and just kind of hide it. You can't surprise God. Therefore, you can't disappoint God. And all shame is designed to distance us from the image of God. And God's saying this to you and I. I knew your brokenness beforehand and still chose you. I knew your failures before they ever happened and still picked you to use you and to love you. And this is what he's saying to Peter. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter. God's here to give some of you a personal invite today. Go tell the disciples and fill your name in on it, that you're still a child of God, that you still have a purpose. Peter, you're still the rock. I'll still use you to preach the gospel at Pentecost. It's a pivotal moment. The earth will change. Peter, I'm still in this with you. We're still friends. We're still good. We're still connected. You're still a disciple. And God's saying that to some of you today, no matter how bad you've messed up, there's a personal invite in your seat with your name on it for the things of God. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Your failure is not final. So we fast forward. We see God kind of restoring with this, this message and say, listen, tell Peter. And they go and they tell Peter and he sees Jesus and he's encouraged. But then we fast forward to John chapter 21. And it's kind of this, this odd chapter. It's a really a PS to Peter uh, that John writes in chapter 21. John's writing the gospel of John in A.D. 70 to 90. Peter's already dead. Peter died about A.D. 60 to 64. And so he's, he's writing this gospel. And in chapter 20, John really sums up the book. It's over. He kind of says a summation of his whole book. Jesus is God. Jesus is the goat. Jesus is glorified. Jesus did the miracles. He's God. And he tells us in verse 30, John 20, 30, kind of the summation of the gospel. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have faith or life in his name. There it is, end of story. It's a great summation of the, of the entire book of John, end of story, that you'd believe, that you'd know the miracles, and you'd believe and have life in his name. There it is. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit says, no, John, you're not done writing. Like, I need a chapter 21. Like, it's like an add-on to the end of the book. Like, I don't get it. Like, God, why did you need a chapter 21? Why did you need this? Peter's discouraged. Peter's down and out. Peter's discredited. Peter's lost his reputation. And so he's writing about it, but Peter's dead. Like Jesus and Peter already made up. This had already happened. He's writing after it happened. Like usually these apostles would write letters to kind of give credentials to the people that had messed up to tell the church they're cool, they're good, they're back in good standing. And they would kind of set the record straight. Peter's already dead. He's already done his ministry. He's already lived and it's already over. So why is the Holy Spirit writing this PS to Peter? I think it's for you and I. I think it's so that we could actually see the restoration of Peter and read the end of this book and understand that God will actually use all of our failures to reaffirm our future. And that what we think is final, God's saying, no, 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 I want to take your failures and reaffirm your future. 
God's saying, I want everybody that reads the book of John to read the last chapter of the book and know that there's hope and that their failure isn't final and that I can actually give them hope and restore their reputation. And so that's what's happening here. That's this PS moment to Peter. That's the Holy Spirit telling us, look, it's not over. It's not too late. You know the story. There's a couple things you need to do and that I need to know as we look at restoration or getting rid of shame or regret when we failed. Jesus is risen. Easter was great. It's amazing. But some of us are still in a place where we're kind of confused or troubled or down and out. Peter and them are in Galilee. He's with seven disciples. You know the story. They're hanging out by the sea. Jesus said, go wait for me there and you'll see me. They've already seen him once. There's a little bit of confusion going on. Peter's discouraged, blown it, blown all of his, his really his hope and, and ministry and in life. He's got issues with his friends. Come on, think about it. We're, we're hanging out to go fishing and he threw all of his friends under the bus and said, I love him. I love Jesus more than all of you all. And now he's hanging out with these guys. There's probably a little bit of relational tension going on in the scene. They're, they don't know what to do. And so they're just hanging out. And then all we know is Peter says this. He's like, well, I'm going fishing. We'll go fishing. And the other disciples are like, we're, we're going to go with you. Like, guys don't really know how to apologize. <laughs> we're not good at, like, at like saying sorry. It's, like, awkward. Like, we, like, for us to say sorry, it's like, it's like let's go fishing. Yeah. That's like an apology. Like, we, we like to kill and catch stuff together. You know what I mean? Like, like, hey, let's go fish. Let's go sit in the boat and not talk about the issues that are going on right now and catch some stuff. We good? We cool? We cool? Yeah. Well, good catch, man. We good? We're good. Awesome. Girls like to talk over tea. We don't do that. Like, how did it make you feel? You can pull your feet up into like chairs and like sit on your own feet. Like, that's weird. And talk to each other. You know, have you never seen a guy do that? Just pull his feet up and put a little blanket on. Like, let's just talk. This doesn't work. We want to kill stuff and catch stuff together. We good? We cool? We're cool. And that's what's happening there in the boat. They're killing, catching stuff. They're like, it's good. Peter's like, I'm sorry. He's like, we're good. We're good. And the Bible records it. It's very interesting. And it didn't put it in there for no reason. It says they fished all night. They're professional fishermen. This is what they did for a living. They're pros at it. They fished all night and caught nothing. Why did it put it in there? Why did it say that? It's like, what? Like, you fished all night and caught nothing? Okay, I get it. You're discouraged. You're in this boat. You've got some issues. You're not really dealing with it. You fish all night and catch nothing. Many theologians said that they were in disobedience because they were fishing. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. They, they think they were in disobedience because Jesus said, be fishers of men, and they've actually gone back to fishing for fish. And so I've heard theologians kind of theorize that they were in disobedience. I, I don't think so. They're just confused. They're just scared. They're they just got issues. Like, they're just like, where's Jesus? Like, our life's over three years. Where is he? We saw him once. Like, what's happening? And they're in this boat, and they fish, and, and they catch nothing. They just, they just go back to doing what's natural. My question is, what happens when what's natural isn't working anymore for you? What happens when what used to come natural isn't working now? They fished all night and caught nothing. This is what was natural. Like, what happens when the Friday and Saturday night alcohol and parties, which come natural and it might be fun, they're actually not numbing the pain anymore and satisfying you. You still leave those weekends without peace. 
What happens when the workaholism used to give you a feel of success and you had the popularity and the money and the fame and the workaholic, 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 and that worked for a while and that came natural, but now you're actually still left feeling empty. What happened when, when the control that you have, that, that you know you have to control everything, what happens when that which comes natural? I'm preaching to myself today, okay? Can I just, I'm gonna just talk to me today. Y'all okay with that? So what happens when the control in my life, when I think I can control things, it comes natural, but everything's still out of control and I can't control it. What happens when the guards I've put up around my heart because of shame or doubt or pain or hurt, what happens when those guards I've got come natural, but now I find myself more isolated and more lonely and more left out? They caught nothing all night. This guy's just asking us, like, like what, what happens like when what used to come natural isn't working? And I'm here to tell you that when, when what used to come natural isn't working, God wants to do something supernatural. I need something supernatural in my life. It's easy for me to go back to what's natural, to do what come natural, to do what used to fix it, to do what used to numb it. But the reality is it doesn't satisfy and it's not supernatural. We need a supernatural move of God in our hearts, in our families, in our homes, in our churches by the grace and power of God. I need something supernatural. If what worked yesterday still worked today, I wouldn't need God. If what worked for me then worked now, I wouldn't need faith. And so I'm catching nothing, and they're in this boat, and I love Jesus. He's such a gangster, man. <laughs> Some of you are ready to quit because what's natural isn't working, but God's saying, I'm about to give you something supernatural if you'll hang on, if you'll believe, if you'll wait, if you'll look to me, if you'll listen. Jesus gets to the shore of their life, and he comes up with this moment like, they don't recognize him yet, and he's standing there, and he looks at him, and he calls them little ones or young ones or youngins, or little fellas. He's like, "What's up, young one? What's up, youngins?" It's, it's kind of. He's like, "Catch anything?" Like what? Jesus throwing shade in chapter twenty-one. <laughs> like, like, dude, you're God. Like, you named all the fish under there. You know we ain't caught nothing. Like, why are you trying to? We call nothing. Like, and then here's this stranger. Catch anything yet, boys? <laughs> it's like, what's happening right now? And they're like, no. They admit it, which I love that. Because a lot of times we don't like to admit it. And God's coming up in our life sometimes and going, hey, catch anything yet? Any fruit there in that marriage? Any fruit there in that business? Any fruit there in that mindset any any success there catch anything yet and we love to guard ourselves and act like we got it all figured out and everything's under control and and like we're just God's just wanting to probe our heart and really trying to empty them of their pride he's wanting them to admit their failure so he can become their freedom and if we never can admit our failure he can't become our freedom and he's wanting them to actually assess where they are and say the truth about their success ratio and their, and 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 saying, listen, no, God, I haven't caught anything yet. And he's going, listen, just, just, just tell me. Just be honest. Like, just say, I need your help, God. But so often we want to be the experts, right? For a, I'm talking for guys right now. For me, like, I don't like to admit when I haven't caught anything. I don't like to admit when I'm, when I'm struggling. I don't like to admit when I'm not successful. So we go to all these other excuses. Any fishermen in here? Come on. Well, they're just not biting. Well, you know, I used the wrong bait and the moon came out at the wrong time and there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a comet coming and the gravitational force of the, of the grass that they swim in right now and this dock and it's just there. And then you blame the fish. They're just not biting. Like really, that's what fish do. They bite. 
Like, it's just a yes or no answer. Like, catch anything? No. Need any help? Yeah. Here's Jesus on the shore of our life going, How you, how's it going? And he's actually trying to set us up for success by getting us to admit our failures. And he looks at these disciples. He knew they hadn't caught anything. When I'm, when I'm full of my pride, I can't be full of his power. When you're full of your pride, you can't be full of his power. And so he wants us to kind of just get real and get honest. And so he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. And it's a stranger. They don't know who it is. He says, hey, listen, listen, listen. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. Just, just, just do this. And they actually, they do it. I mean, think about it. This is a total stranger. Would have been very easy for them to go, we're the professionals. You just called us youngins. Hold on, old man. We ain't casting nothing on the other side of the boat, but they don't. They actually cast it on the other side of the boat. They surrender, and you can write this down. Surrender leads to supernatural success. They'd caught nothing all night, and here's a man on the side of the, on the, side of the shore. They don't recognize. Can I tell you, God will send things into your life that you don't recognize that are him, that he wants to bless you with and, and, and let produce in your life, and you don't even recognize it on the shore of your life? And a lot of the things that you're resisting right now are the Jesus that you don't recognize. Some of the things you're resisting is actually Jesus in your boss. Jesus in that tight situation. Jesus in that job you hate. Jesus in that relational fight that you keep going back to over and over with your spouse. Jesus in your kids that are about to kill you and they're trying to get you. And Jesus is actually working on the seashore of your life to get you to surrender so you can have success. But you're resisting the thing because you don't recognize him. And we resist what we don't recognize. But these boys didn't do that. And we love Christianity that goes well, that's easy, that's flowery, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. We think if God's involved, it's going to be just beautiful. Be easy. So any circumstance that's not framed up the way we like, we begin to rebuke it. Rebuke that. Rebuke it. I rebuke it. You know, it makes for great charismatic preaching, but bad theology. Like you're rebuking the thing God's trying to teach you to receive from. You're rebuking the job that you hate, that God's trying to, that you glean from and receive from. You're rebuking it because you don't recognize your Savior on the seashore of life, and he's wanting to give you supernatural success, but you keep resisting him because you don't see him or recognize him. And if your heart's not right in these moments for surrender, then you'll miss your miracle moment because you closed off to the thing that God was trying to use. These boys just cast the net on the other side, and they actually catch a huge harvest of fish, and it's a miracle. They surrender, and it leads to this moment where Peter dives in. And I'm going to close with this. I've got a few minutes left. It leads to this whole PS moment with, with Peter. It's, it's why we get chapter 21. and We see the restoration. It's called the restoration of Peter. Jesus shows up. He's on the, on the shore. They, Peter dives in. I love, his, I love his faith. Come on, somebody. Like, just dives in with his clothes. Like, I'm going after Jesus. He pulls the boat. He's helping dragging the fish. He gets to the shore. Jesus is Captain D on the shore eating some fish. He's like, y'all want to eat? Y'all hungry? And like, he's sitting there and he's like, y'all caught anything? You know, and they got this big supernatural, you know, thing of fish now. And they sit down. They eat breakfast. And then Jesus looks at Peter in front of everybody. And I love how he does it. Right in front of his boys. He goes, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Many people think he was, Jesus was talking about the fish. That's silly. He wasn't talking about the fish. They're like, well, did he, he went back to fishing, and that was his industry, and he, he was addicted to work, and he loved fishing. And Jesus said, do you love me more than the fish? No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> he, 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 had, he had denied Jesus in front of all of his boys. He had said, I love you more than all these guys. Even if they de- deny you, I will never. Remember that? And so Jesus looks at him in front of his boys and says, hey, do you, do you love me more than all these? 
And when Jesus begins to have this interchange with him, the exchange with him, he uses the two words for love, two words happening here. Jesus says this, do you, do you love me, Peter? And the word is agapeo. It's the God kind of love. It's sacrificial love. It's till death do us part. It's, it's love that lays its life down. Peter, Jesus says, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you, which is the love, the love word for friendship. Peter can't say it because he knows what he's been through. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, do, do, you, do you agape of me? The second time, do you, do you love me till death do us part? And Peter says, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. You know I'm your friend. You know I phileo you. Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus a third time says, Peter, and he changes the word. He actually comes down to Peter's level. He actually takes it from agapeo to actually phileo. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? Are you my friend? Peter gets hurt because it's a tough question and he's probing Peter's heart, trying to get Peter to see his own heart. And he says, listen, I'm going to come to your level. I'm going to come to where you are with your love. I'm going to actually come down to your level. Peter, do you, are you, are you my friend? And Peter gets grieved. He goes, God, you know all things and you know my heart. And I'm grieved right now because you know I want to love you like agapeo, but I'm fond of you and I'm your friend because I just blew it. And I know my love. I know my love falters. I know my love is fickle. I know I can't keep going like this, but God, I want to love you like that, but I don't, but I'm your friend, God, you know all things. Jesus said, okay, and now that we're on the same level with the L word, now that we're in the same spot with our relationship and we understand where this thing is, now I can restore you. You ever said the L word and the people didn't say it back? Come on, anybody? Or you said it and they hesitated with it? Come on, how big of a mess is created when we're not on the same page with the L word? I remember when I said it to my wife and I pay for it every day with my, not from her. Like, like I'm trying to make up for the way I said it every day. There's a strategy to the L word, right? I said it first. We were on a little jog, came back to her house. I remember it. We're by the little door, side door of her home. And coming off the step, she gives me a little kiss on the cheek. She didn't attack me this time like last time, but I got in trouble for that story. It wasn't, I embellished it a little bit, okay? She gives me a little peck on the cheek and had a good day. I just said, I love, it just came out. I said, I love you. I love you. I love you. It just came out. And right after it came out, I went, I'm so stupid. That's exactly what I said. I was like, I love you. I'm stupid. I had a lot of hurt and pain and things in my own life. And I was scared to put that out there. Right. You know, and I said it and then she's still trying to figure out if I'm schizophrenic still to this day. She's like, who, which guy am I getting? Like, I love you or I'm stupid. You know, I don't know. But, but, but the L word getting on the same page with the L word. And that's what's happening. Jesus is coming down to Peter's level of love. He's going, now that we all understand our hearts, now we understand we're on the same page. I'm going to come down to your level of love. And what's good for us is this. We usually spend time declaring our undying obedience. And Lord, I will never. And Lord, I love you with all my heart. And Lord, I will follow you and I will obey you, God. And the reality is that fails and falters. Our love fails, but his love is forever. And once we understand that, now we don't try to focus on all of our faith and our love and our obedience. Jesus is just saying, not Peter, never do this again. Not Peter, you messed up bad. You're going to have to pay for it. Not Peter, you better never deny me again. None of that. He's saying, Peter, I just want your heart. If you'll just follow my love and give me your heart, I'll actually restore your reputation. I'll actually give you honor back. I'll actually give you an identity back. I'll give you success back and a calling back. And that's what chapter 21 is saying to you and I, that I will actually restore to you. God, his love will actually restore to you back your identity and your honor not just a calling and a ministry but your 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 dignity and your reputation 
Some of you might have lost reputation in things. God's saying, no, no, I can actually restore your reputation and reaffirm your future. Just you stand to your feet with me? Let me pray for you. Some of you are in this place and you need a PS. You need a PS to your shame. Some of you have messed up. You failed. Resurrection's real, but you're still kind of downhearted. You're still kind of confused. You're like, God, I, I blew it. You think you've disappointed God. He's saying, you don't disappoint me. Your failure's not final. Heads bowed and eyes closed real quick. I want to pray with you. Some of you got shame. You've got regret. And I, I just, I just want to say that God's got a personal invitation and a PS to you today that there's actually a chapter 21 for you, a new chapter to restore reputation and to remove shame. God's got love for you that actually trumps your shame. And if you're in this place and I don't know what it is or what happened or what you've gone through, maybe it's the same thing you've done a hundred times and you can't quit doing it. Maybe it surprised you and you've done it once and you're like, God, I feel like I failed. Maybe it's your walk with God. Maybe you're just knowing I need a chapter 21. I need a new chapter. I need a PS to my shame this morning. No one looking around. If that's you, if you're in here and say, you know what? I just need God to write a new chapter. I need to know my failure's not final. Put your hand up to me right now. Let me pray with you. Come on, I see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, a chapter 21. I need a chapter 21. Come on, I got my hand up. God bless you. Father, you see every hand in this place. We need a chapter 21. Thank you for a PS. Thank you for a postscript. Thank you that the story's not over. Thank you that you still want to use us, that we're still close to you, that even though it looks final, it's not God. Thank you that you would restore reputation and honor today, that your love, we focus on your love and your grace, Lord. Ours falters, but yours is forever. We look to that today, and we know you're full of faith. No one looking around for another second. If you're in this place, the only way that failure is not final is by surrendering your life to Jesus. Not church, not religion, not rules, not denomination, but actually the Bible says if you would surrender to Jesus Christ, you get a fresh start with God. Jesus came to this planet to defeat shame and guilt and sin, to nail your pain and your hurt and your brokenness to a tree. He knew all of it beforehand and still chose to die for you and I. The Bible says that all that can actually be nailed to that tree and we can be given the life of God to have a relationship with God. Some of you are in this room and you've been trying to conquer failure and with, with, with whatever it is, you're pushing through it, you're working through it, you're, you're, you're trying to numb it with, with all different types of things. But God's saying the only way to conquer failure and make it not final is through me, is through Jesus, the cross. And if you're here today and you know you need a fresh start, I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you forward, but I'm gonna ask you to slip your hand up on three here in a minute. If you say, Jamie, I, I need a fresh start. I, I need a new chapter. I, I need to surrender my life to Christ. I need a fresh start with God today. I do not want my failure to be final. One, two, three. Just put your hand up to me right now. God bless you. Come on, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And God, we don't want our failure to be final, and we know that it's not with the cross. Many individuals just saying, yes, I surrender to your name, to Jesus Christ and what you did on that tree. I'm going to pray a prayer right now with us, and you can just say this prayer in your own words or just pray it from your heart or say what I'm saying but just as we pray it's no, no magic in the prayer and in the words it's what's the faith going on inside of your heart responding to the Holy Spirit we're just going to declare it by faith that we surrender to Jesus I'm going to pray with you Father thank you for sending your son Jesus Jesus thank you for going to that cross that tree thank you for taking all my pain and all my failure all my shame all my sin all my, all my regret, everything that you knew that I would walk in, you knew that I would, I would have that in my life. Thank you for taking all that and nailing it to that tree and being crucified and killed in your body. Thank you for removing that from my life. 
and, and raising from the dead and actually giving me your life. You are, you are God. You are my Lord. I surrender to you today. I know that failure is not final because you are my God. You are Jesus. You are my Lord and I will follow you the rest of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use my life to bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everyone. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.